so last night because I told the story about eating lobster somebody decided to buy Father Mello and I uh, stuffed lobsters for tonight so if I run out of here at any point <laughs> you know what's happening let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen this is from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked them to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. But at your command, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. They singled, singled, signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish had seized him and all those who were with him. And likewise, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. Heavenly Father, when you sent your Son into this world, he said to us rather regretfully, I have come to set fire to the earth and how I wish it were ablaze. In the face of this, we are but small candles, illuminating only ourselves, but not passing the light and the heat to others. Send forth your Spirit upon this group tonight and take that small flame and fan it into a great fire, a fire that has passion to live for you, to live for others, but most importantly to know you personally, which is the highest good on this earth. We ask this to the intercession of Our Lady, who knew you more intimately than anyone has ever known you, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I recently read... Uh, article about a football coach. His name is Irk Russell. It's an interesting name. E-R-K. Irk. I didn't know they named anybody Irk. But this guy was the coach of Georgia Southern. And in his conference, he was one of the most winning coaches ever in the history of college football. And one day, he had a very interesting way of teaching his players. They respected him greatly. But one year, he lost a bunch of his seniors, and he had a bunch of rookie freshman kids who were cocky. And so after practice, he had had it. And so he took them into the locker room, and he locked all the doors so nobody could get out. And there were two people standing there. One was a farmer, 
and he had a burlap sack, and the other one was a policeman, and he had a briefcase. And he said first, the policeman said, Officer, would you please come forward and open your briefcase? He set it down, opened it up, and he pulled out a little Ziploc bag full of white powder. And he said to him, he said, boys, anybody know what this is? And they're like, yeah, coach. He's like, that's cocaine. He's like, anybody can get that. I mean, we don't get it because it's football season, you know what I'm saying? But anybody can get cocaine. I mean, you know, Johnny's mother sometimes, she even sells it, you know, and they're laughing and having a ball. And he says, boys, does this scare any of you? Are you afraid of this? And they're like, no, man. He's like, that's more common out here than, than coke, you know, like regular coke. And so, you know, and they're half, and they're all joking and pushing each other. And he said, that's fine, that's fine. He's like, thank you, officer, put that away. Put it into his briefcase, stepped away. He said, Joe, why don't you come forward and show these boys what you have in your bag? And he empties out his bag, and there's three diamondback rattlesnakes. And they start slithering off the table, and the kids are like, Coach, you're crazy, what's the matter with you? And they start running. Now we go to the doors, but the doors are locked. And they're screaming, and they're like, are you insane? And he's like, boys... Who knows what these are? And they're like, those are rattlesnakes, are you crazy? And he says, anybody afraid of these? And he's like, yes, he's like, let us out of here. And he says, Joe, you can put the snakes away. So he grabs his little snake stick and puts them back into the bag and he says, boys, sit down. I love that he calls them boys. They're not men. Boys, sit down. And he said this to him. You are comfortable with things that are incredibly dangerous but you are terrified of things that can hardly hurt you. He said .0004 people die from rattlesnake bites every year, while millions of lives and families are destroyed because of drugs. And then he said this, real words of wisdom. Boys, if you don't know what's gonna separate you from your goal, you're starting in a dangerous position. So my question to you tonight is, what's separating you from your goal of holiness? What's holding you back from being a saint? We all have them. They're holding us all back. But what's the one thing that's holding you back? You know, we hear it all the time as priests. They say, I try so hard, but I feel like I always fail. I want to suggest that there's two things holding you back from being a saint. And by the way, I have a, dis- a disclaimer tonight. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's he going to talk about? By the way, that, that title, The Scourge of Mediocrity, Father Mello said that's a very interesting... I didn't come up with that. I stole it from Archbishop Sheen, because he's way smarter than I am. But the question is, is, or the disclaimer is this. I don't think that you don't pray <laughs> any more than I don't think that you don't try to embrace the cross. But the point of a parish mission is to encourage, and that Jesus is never, ever finished with you. He's never going to be like, oh, you know what? You got to a spot where you're good to go. You don't have to change anymore. You're perfect. Stay. No, he's constantly calling us to change. And the other thing is this. I don't do these talks. I don't fly all the way out to Fall River, Massachusetts to energize you, to get you fired up. I fly out here so you change your life. You know, one of the things with Lent, have you ever noticed this? I, I, again, this is that projecting. Remember I told you I, what's going on in me. I, so this happens to me, obviously. <clears throat> in Lent, I give something up or I'm doing something, and then when Lent's over, like, I drop it. 
like a hot rock and like totally indulge. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not eating carbs this Lent. I'm offering that to Jesus. Well, Easter Sunday hits and like I eat four pounds of bread, half a pizza and drink a case of beer. Well, I don't drink a case of beer. That'd be a lot. But I drink some beer. But that's just like carbs all over the place. The point of Lent is to do something and then be like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing that. The point of this mission is for you to make a change. And not just for a little bit. I want you to walk out of this mission and I want you to make a change for the rest of your life. Because you think back, think back to how many talks maybe you've heard in your whole life as a Catholic. How many of them have you actually went home when it was done and said, I am going to make a change. And you made that change and you kept that change until today. You don't have to raise your hand, shake your head, any of that. Just think about it. I want you to make a change. I want to give you a golden key. And it will revolutionize your life. It will tear you out of that mediocrity, that mundane living of the ordinariness of life. It will change everything. You guys don't seem that excited. I thought you were going to like stand up and start cheering. This is huge. This is huge stuff. It's going to change your life. So the two things I think that are missing from us being saints are the first one I talked about last night. We don't love the cross enough. We love to run from it. We like the narrow way. When I say we, I'm with you, okay? We've got to desire the cross. We've got to pray for the cross. We've got to pray to embrace it and receive it. But the second thing, which I saved for tonight, is more important. And in fact, if you don't do this, you'll never embrace the cross. The second thing is this. You have got to know him intimately. If I asked you, again, no raising hands, nothing, no manifesting conscience, but if I asked you, if I just walked up to somebody and just said, when is the last time Jesus Christ spoke to you, and what did he say? How does he love you? Could you answer that question? I don't know. Maybe you can. If you can, that's beautiful. I'm going to call you to more. If you can't, you don't know him. I went on retreat one time. You know, the, the, Jesus really gets his way with me on retreat, partially because I'm quiet, and I finally shut up. You know, but he said to me, he said, you know, you could be the greatest priest in the eyes of your parishioners. You could open orphanages. You could build me a grand cathedral. And you could still go to hell. Simply because you don't know me. Now you can sit back and say, Father, whoa, hey, time out. That's, you're getting a little crazy here. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes I'm a little ADHD too, so I get a little sidetracked. I was, I, Father Mello and I both studied in Rome. We, I, one time I ran into this guy, and he was, he was you know, this time we were talking, and I'm like, so are you Catholic? And he's like, Father. He's like, oh, I'm Italian. Of course I'm Catholic. And I'm like, well, all right, you know, right on. And I'm like, well, what parish do you go to? And he's like, what? I said I'm Catholic. I'm not a fanatic, Okay. <laughs> So to go to Mass apparently is to be a fanatic. But listen to this. This is straight out of Scripture. It's some of the most chilling words in the Gospel, I think. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my heavenly Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not do mighty deeds? And I will declare to them solemnly, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoer. If that doesn't send a chill down your spine, what is Jesus saying? He's saying we got to know him. And not the fictitious Jesus, the real Jesus, who he really was. And you know it says, you can say, Father, well, he says, you do the, the will of my heavenly Father. In John's gospel, he says, and this is the will of my heavenly Father, that you should know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. I'm not making stuff up here. This is Jesus himself saying these things to us. You've got to know him. And to know somebody, you've got to spend time with them. A lot of time with them. Because wherever and on whatever you spend your time is what you will get to know. There's a guy in my parish back home. When I was a pastor, I'm no longer a pastor. I'm just a lowly vocation director. <laughs> but when I was a pastor, there's this guy. His name is Jason. Great guy. He really was. But he had a little bit of a disorder. He loved his hunting dogs. And he, took, he trained these dogs... I, you can't imagine what these dogs could do. He actually, one night, he said, Father, you got to see this. I've been working on this. I'm like, great. It was pitch black outside. And he took his son, he said, take this little toy, and he ran it out about 500 yards and hid it behind a tree. Then he took the dog, and he put the dog right at his side. He said, heal, Rowdy. Rowdy came over, sat down right beside him, looked straight up. <laughs> it's like military. And then he said, he said, you ready? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, side. Dog didn't move. Front. Dog didn't move. Back! And he took off at like top speed, straight as fast as he could go. Guy blew his whistle once, dog stopped, turned around, sat and looked at him. And he held his hand up like this, and he pointed to the right, and the dog took off to the right. Blew his whistle, dog stopped, turned, looked at him, and he single-handedly guided this dog into the toy. You know how much time that takes? I bet you don't. <laughs> I guess I didn't, and I had to ask him. Three hours a day. He was spending three hours a day with his dog. How is that changing the world? Besides making my hunting a little bit better. What good is that doing for the world? How is that making him a better man? How much time does he spend with his wife, with his kids? He loves his dog. That's who he spends time with. How do we expect to know him if we don't spend time with him? Someone asked me last night, they said, Father, how do I know what the cross is in my life? That's a fair question. And I'm going to give you an answer. Ask Jesus. He'll tell you. I honestly think that people think sometimes that I'm insane. Because I often talk about how Jesus talks to me. I one time went, I had a 30-day silent retreat. I know it's hard to believe I kept silent for 30 days. But I got done and I went to a wedding, which was a terrible idea. Not a wedding, a wedding dance. And it was so loud. <laughs> and it had been 30 days in silence. And people were like, what did you do for 30 days? And I was like, well, I was like, it was amazing. Like, the Lord was speaking to me. He was telling me this, 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 and this. And they just kind of looked at me with this blank stare. And I was so into it, I didn't even notice. We were walking out later, and my brother's like, you realize that they think you're insane, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, they think you're talking to yourself. You know how many people don't experience Jesus? 
How many people in the pews never experience the Lord Jesus? We've got to talk to him as a friend, as the closest friend. Jesus asked his disciples for one thing. One thing he asked his disciples for in his life on earth, simply for himself. What was it? Got to raise your hand. Remember, remember this? This is your turn. One thing he asked of his disciples just for himself. Nope. That was more for us than it was for him. This is just for him. That's a good guess. What? Pray? Be more specific. You're not raising your hand. For? For? For one hour. Could you not stay awake one hour? It's the only thing he asked his disciples for in this life, and they didn't do. And what happened? They left him. They ran away. Because they didn't know him. I once read a <clears throat> recent survey that said the average amount of time a Christian spends in prayer every day is six and a half minutes. Imagine if you spent six and a half minutes with your kids, with your spouse, every day. Six and a half minutes. Okay, here we go, honey. Go. Six and a half minutes. <laughs> Tell me everything we need to talk about. It would be terrible. It would be a terrible relationship. We cannot call ourselves Christians and spend six and a half minutes in prayer. St. Francis of Sales once said, every Christian, in order to call themselves a Christian, must spend at least a half hour in prayer. Every day. Unless he's busy. Then it's an hour. The more we have, the more we need him. He asked for one hour. Some people complain to me that they never feel anything during prayer. I'm so distracted, and that's why they don't pray. I want to tell you something. You know, when I talk, I talk about how I, I hear the Lord and He speaks to me. I only have a handful of those times. So it's not like I'm sitting in the pew, like, basking in the light of God's glory in beautiful face-to-face -face conversation like Moses was. But we don't pray to get something. We pray because we love. It doesn't matter if you feel anything in prayer or not. Because love loves for love's sake. What if you only loved your spouse when you felt like it? To help you further understand this, I have a quote from a priest. His name is Father Henry Nowen, modern-day theologian. He said this. It struck me deeply. Why should I spend a half hour in prayer every day when I do nothing but think about women I could marry, friends, books I could write, people that annoy me, and all those stupid things that seem to grab my mind. My mind is never centered on God, it seems. The answer is this, because God is greater than my mind and my heart. And what is really happening in the house of prayer is not measurable in terms of human success or failure. What I must do first and foremost is be faithful. 
If I believe, and I mean really believe, that the first commandment is to love God with my whole heart, mind, and soul, then I should at least be able to spend a half hour a day with Him and nobody else. The question as to whether it's helpful, useful, practical, or fruitful is completely irrelevant. Since the only reason to love is love itself. Everything else is secondary. The remarkable thing, however, is this. That sitting in the presence of God for a half hour each day, day after day, week after week, month after month, in total confusion and utter distraction, radically changes my life. God, who loves me so much that he sent his only son not to condemn me but to save me, does not leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think that these times of prayer are useless, but after 30 or 90 or 100 useless hours of prayer, I gradually realize I'm not as alone as I thought. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me far beyond my noisy place. So be confident and trust in the Lord and know that you are not alone. You are not alone, ever. I once heard a talk on the main line of that talk I will never forget. The most important thing is to know the most important thing and then to make the most important thing the most important thing. The most important thing is to know the most important thing and then to make the most important thing the most important thing. What is the most important thing in your life right now? I'm going to answer it for you. It's relationship with your God. It's what changes everything. It's what gives meaning to everything. How on earth can we neglect it? I once heard a comedian one time, Brian Regan, he's pretty clean, pretty funny. He said uh, he got a new prescription glasses. And he's like, he's like, I put them on, I was like, holy cow, I can see! He's like, how can that not be at the top of your priority list? Seeing. I would say the same thing with our, like, how can this not be at the top of our list every day? Because at the end of our life, we're either going to be with him or not. Here's a quick question. This one you got to answer. Just show of hands. How many of you want to go to heaven? Don't be lazy. Raise your hands. All of you, some of you, wow, some of you don't want to go to heaven. That's amazing. All of you want to go to heaven. Heaven is to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, don't raise your hands or say anything. How much time do you spend every day with him here? If we want to spend eternity with him, how much time do you spend right now with him? It has become painfully obvious to me what is wrong with the Christian world. It was an insight made very clear to me when I read two stories from the Bible. One was the story about Martha and Mary, and the other one is the story of the prodigal son. I think that the vast majority of people sitting in our churches are either Martha or the older son. They are working, they are doing, they are trying to show God that they love Him without ever listening, without ever just sitting quietly They are obedient to the Father's will without ever experiencing the Father's love. 
I mean, you've got to think about it. Martha, she's like the most offended character in Scripture. Right? Come on, you've got to side with Martha. Poor Martha, she's working like crazy, and Mary's just sitting there, it seemingly being worthless. And Martha comes over and she's like, Jesus, tell her to get up. And what does Jesus say? No. You're wrong. She's right. That's just mind-blowing. That the one who is just sitting and listening to Jesus is doing more than the one who is working uncontrollably to provide for Jesus. We love action and we just neglect contemplation. You can't experience love without simply spending time, just as Mary did. So many times we just want to work harder. We want to make ourselves holy. My first year of seminary, I had this plan that I was going to make myself holy. It was like a 12-step program to holiness by Father Josh Waltz. It was perfect. I did every day. Now listen to this. Every day. There were only 15 decades of the rosary way back then. I did all 15 decades every day. I prayed the Stations of the Cross. I prayed a holy hour. I prayed every hour in the bravery. I did the St. Bridget's Devotion. I don't know if you guys know the St. Bridget's Devotion. It's a year-long devotion. 15 prayers every day. I read the scripture. I did everything. And I went and I told my, my scripture director, I said, well, what are you doing? And I told him, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, I know. How amazing am I? And he's like, I want you to drop it all. I'm like, what? He's like, you can pray one rosary, and during your holy hour, I want you to pray with one verse of scripture for the whole hour. I'm like, I don't think you understand. I'm on day 275 of the Bridges devotion. You know what kind of promises are attached to that thing? And he looked at me and he said, you think Bridget would want you to do her devotion if all it did was make you focus on yourself? I said, fine. And I walked out. I was mad. And I sat down in the chapel and threw down my Bible. Then picked it back up because I had to read it. And I opened it up and it was Matthew's Gospel. And as well start with the Gospels, I only get one verse. And I started and it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. One hour. I'm like, what? This is ridiculous. I was like, what am I supposed to do now? And that was the point. You're not supposed to do anything. He does it. You don't. You just make yourself available to the Father. And He does the work. It's a corny saying, but I heard it once. We're not human doings. We're human beings. You don't have to do anything to receive God's love. A friend of mine, Deacon James Keating, he lives in Omaha. He's an incredible man, really almost like a mystic. And he gave a talk to our, our diocese on our centennial. And he was talking about this idea of falling in love, staying in love, but spending time. And he said about five years into his marriage, he was working on his doctorate. And he would get up every morning at about 5 a.m. He'd kiss his wife goodbye and say, I love you. 
he'd go to work, he'd get home at about 10 o'clock at night, she'd be laying in bed, he'd kiss her, I love you, go to bed. And this went on and on and on. And finally, and his wife is just a gem. His wife, he got up in the morning, and he was trying, he was just about to leave, walk out the door, and she turned over and she said, Jim. He said, yeah. He said, today at five o'clock, you're gonna be home, and we're gonna talk for one hour. He's like, but my doctorate. She said, Jim. Either you're there or I'm not. And the way he speaks about it, he says, and because I was afraid of my wife, <laughs> I showed up. And he said when he showed up, there was a little bowl of pretzels and his favorite drink, a seven and seven. And he said the whole time he sat there with his arms folded, he said, I don't even remember what she talked about. It was just blah, 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 blah. For about 20 minutes, and then she looked at me and she said, so how was your day? And I said, well, I didn't get to work on my doctorate. She said, is that it? I said, yep. She said, well, I guess then we're done. If you're not going to talk, we can be done early. I said, good. And he got up and left, and as he was leaving, she said, Jim, tomorrow, 5 o'clock, either you're here or I'm not. He said, after about a week, I ate a pretzel. And after a month, I took a sip of my drink. He said, after 25 years, I'm more in love with that woman than I could have ever possibly imagined. It's about spending time. It changed my life. I was an idiot college kid. <laughs> I'm an idiot priest now. How <laughs> much has changed? But... <clears throat> I was an idiot college kid, and my life was, it was set. I was dating a beautiful, I know that's hard to believe, I know. I dated a few girls. But I was dating this beautiful girl for about a year and a half. I was set up, I was gonna have, you know, I was gonna get a job right out of college, make about 60, 70,000. Everything was great. But my heart was just restless. I was like, there's gotta be more to this life. Like, is this it? Is this just it? Is this what people do? And so I went to confession, as any good Catholic kid would. And when I went to confession, God bless this man. His name is Father Peter Hughes. He's an Irish priest. He just passed away this last year. But I went in, I went to confession. At the end of my confession, I'm going to do my best Irish impersonation, by the way. I am Irish, a little bit, mostly German. <laughs> but he looked at me and he said, So what are you going to do for Lent? You know, the Irish always, they always make it sound so terrible. <laughs> and so I said, I haven't really thought about it. I suppose I'll give up chocolate. <laughs> and he's like, come on. He's like, I got an idea for you. How about you go to Mass every day for the whole of Lent? <laughs> and I said, do they have Mass every day? <laughs> and he's like, yes. I'm like, what time? And he's like, well, there's one at 8 a.m. And I'm like, ah, I got class. And he's like, perfect. There's one at 6.30 at St. Anthony's. <laughs> and I'm like, 6.30? I'm like, you know, that's going to be so hard. And this guy, on a dime, looked at me and he said, do you think it was easy for Jesus to die on the cross? And I was like, no, Father. And so I did it. That was Lent of 2001. And I've never missed a daily mass since.
In fact, halfway through, I just started saying daily mass because I became a priest. And that was the beginning. But what changed my heart is after daily mass, they would expose the Blessed Sacrament. And I had no idea what that was. And I just began to stay at first a couple minutes, then five minutes, then ten minutes. Then all of a sudden, I was staying a half hour. Then all of a sudden, I was almost late for class. And I just couldn't get enough. It was changing me. Because when you get in the presence of someone, they kind of turn you into them. You know, like I'm a snowboarder. <clears throat> Guess who I hang out with? Other snowboarders. I'm a priest. Guess who I hang out with? Other priests. Who you hang out with, you will become. We need to spend time. Lots and lots of time. Jesus has never taken anything away from me that I didn't need, and he has given me so much. When I was ordained, I laid prostrate. If you've ever been to an ordination, the, the ordinon will lay prostrate on the marble, and they sing the litany of the saints. And during that time, I asked Jesus, because all these guys were saying, you've got to ask for something. That's a really graced moment. Ask for something for your priesthood. And so I was just laying there. I said, Jesus, never, ever stop amazing me. My life had been so amazing. I'm not talking, you know, just because, like, I had great food and great travels. It was just amazing. Like, everything, like, every person I met, everything I did, every bad thing, good thing, it all meant something. I just had to go to him and ask him what it meant. And then he would slowly teach me. Slowly teach me. And as I sat there and I said, never stop amazing me, he very clearly said back to me in my heart, then don't you ever stop coming to me. You want to be amazed? Go to him. And not for a couple weeks, not for a couple months. Give it a year. If I come back in one year to visit Father Mellon, you've been doing it since this parish mission, and you're not different, I'll buy you lobster. Because you will change. I can promise you that. But you have to first and foremost be faithful. But we have to ask to see. We have to ask to see. We're in relationship with Jesus. So we don't just sit there and say nothing. Sometimes we just sit there and let him love us. I remember my buddy Doug. He's the guy I hunt with. He's got this little daughter. She's so beautiful. This, she's the youngest. Her name's Veronica Miriam. And the reason that's her name is because his daughter, or his, his mother died when he was 18 years old. And her name was Miriam. And so he named her Veronica. And Veronica means Vera Icona, the true image of Miriam, my mother. That's a name. That's a name. And she's my goddaughter. And I remember one time we knelt down and we were saying prayers together. And we went around and everybody was saying what they're thankful for. And it got to Veronica and she was kneeling right next to me. And she looked up at me and she said, you do it for me. And I'm like, man, if that isn't the image of what we should be saying to God, you do it for me. You show me what I want. I don't know what I want. All my stuff is motivated by my ego. I want to do your will. And the other one then, later on, she was sleeping in Doug's arms, and I said, man, that's beautiful. He's like, Father, you have no idea. This is my favorite time to be with my daughter. And I was like, why? He's like, because I can just look at her and love her. And I'm like, man, if you didn't, ex if you didn't just explain contemplative prayer about how God loves us, he said so many times she runs around, she says, look at me, Daddy, look at me, Daddy, look at this, look at this, look at this. I was like, 
I just want to hold her. I just want to be with her. Think of our lives. God, look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Look at this thing. Look at this. Look at this. He's like, I just want to be with you. How many churches remain empty? How many tabernacles are lonely? Because his faithful aren't with him. We've got to ask to see. We've got to say, Jesus, what is going on in my life? I remember one time, I, you know, I, I talk about hunting. You guys don't, I'm, I don't think there's a lot of hunting out here, but this is an interesting story. I'm a duck hunter too, but I know nothing about duck hunting. But I decided to go because I thought it'd be fun. <clears throat> and I had to walk this long creek. It was really long. It was like five miles. And a couple things I didn't know about duck hunting. Number one, you need a dog because ducks live in water, right? <laughs> That's helpful. It's hard to get a duck if it falls into water. Um, so I was using all types of techniques. You also, you know, would need waders because you got to get in the water. So I didn't have any of this stuff. And I shot these two ducks and uh, I thought the creek was really narrow so I thought I could jump across it. And so I ran as fast as I could, jumped, totally missed it, fell into the creek, <laughs> was soaking wet. So by that time, I just grabbed the ducks, threw them out, and then, you know, put them in my bag. And I walked all the way around, and I got to this last little stretch, and I noticed that there was a space about, I don't know, maybe from that pillar to that pillar. It was about that wide. And it was, it was only about six inches deep. And I'm like, you know what? If I crossed here, I wouldn't have to walk all the way back around. I'd cut my time in half. I just got, look at it, it's six inches deep. And I had boots on that were waterproof. So I stepped in. Hey, it was great. So I stepped again, and I stepped again. And on the fourth step, I sunk up to my knee in muck. I have another word for it, but I can't use it in church. And then I took another step and went to my waist. And then I panicked and tried to start running, and I came up to about mid-chest. And it's really funny what goes through a human's mind at that point. Because I was literally in like a quicksand sort of muck. I was sinking. And I, <laughs> I stood there and this is what I thought. Really? Is this how it's all going to end? <laughs> I'm going to sink into muck and disappear. And drown. Suffocate. And so immediately I was like, oh, my gun. And I threw it because I didn't want to get that. Well, right as it left my hands, I'm like, it's loaded. You know, so... <laughs> I ducked down, thank God it didn't go off. Well then, I reached down because I'm like, my phone, because I didn't want that, you know, to get wet. And I, because I did have waterproof pants on. <laughs> I was thinking. So then I reach in and I grab my phone and throw that and like, raise it, leaves my hand. I'm like, well now I can't call anybody. <laughs> so my only means of communication is gone. And then I remembered, a year ago, I had fell through the ice on the river when I was hunting. I'm a terrible hunter, by the way. <laughs> And I remembered I couldn't get out of the ice. The only way I could get out is if I laid on the ice and slowly, you know, you got to get big so you don't sink or you don't break the ice. So I laid down in the muck and crawled my way out of it. It was on my face. It was all over my body. And I laid on the side of the, on the little side and I said, Jesus, what the heck? What's going on? And there was nothing at that moment. But what I did is I brought the Lord into it. I immediately didn't go, oh, look at how terrible my luck is. I just, this is terrible in my life. Blah, blah, poor me, 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 me. I said, Jesus, teach me. What, what do you want me to know here? But a week later, it was given to me in prayer. He made it very clear to me. He said, you know what? You're incredibly impulsive. And I love that about you. But if you're not careful with it, it's going to kill you. It'll kill your spiritual life, and then it will kill your material life. And I had to teach you some way. And I smiled and said, thank you. Gave meaning. 
but I had to ask the Lord about it. One time I bought my brand new car. <clears throat> when I got it, my buddy Doug, same guy. I went over to his house. I was so excited I had a brand new car. First I went home, I blessed it. I, I put a magical spell on it. <laughs> it's always in my own brain. If I bless this, it'll never be ruined. And I blessed it and I said, Jesus, don't ever let this be an attachment to me. Then I went and I bought pizza and took it over to the kids and they were all like, Father Walt is the best. You know, and like I'm carrying it in and we eat pizza and his wife all of a sudden, she's like, hey, I gotta go. I got Christmas uh, choir practice. So she leaves, but five minutes later she comes in. She's like, Father, your car is behind me. Can I get your keys so I can move it? And I'm like, and my buddy's like, detachment? I'm like, yeah. And I threw the keys. And I was like, you know what? Crash it, wreck it. I don't care. I'm like, I don't, it's, I, it's, I'm not attached to that car. So she leaves, comes back, puts keys down, and it's gone. About five minutes later, the phone rings. And I can hear her sobbing uncontrollably on the phone. And Doug is like, yeah, I know, Jody, it's okay. No, 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 he'll understand. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean I'm going to understand? He's like, no, he's a priest. It doesn't mean anything to him. I'm like... <laughs> so he hangs up the phone. I'm like, I'm like, buddy, what happened? He's like, just come on. And so we went out, and he opened the garage. Here what she had done is she had backed into my car, then came in, lied, moved it, left, came back in, <laughs> and left the keys. My hood was buckled. And I looked at it just in disbelief. And he's like, he's like, sorry, man. I'm like, yeah, it's just a car. But internally, I'm like, what the heck, Jesus? Come on, I blessed it. Later on that night, I went home and I prayed. And I said, seriously, Lord, what the heck? Very clear to me. He just said, you always said you never wanted it to be an attachment. I was like, yeah, but I was thinking like a ding. And he said, yeah, it was a big ding. And you know what? Since then, I've had no attachment to the car. But we got to ask him to see. You know, you know in the scriptures when the blind man comes up and he says to Jesus, now he's blind, and it says he throws off his tunic and he runs to Jesus. Okay, seeing a blind man run, I think, would be, with all due respect, pretty funny. <clears throat> because they wouldn't be able to, I mean, they'd be stumbling, they'd be all over the place. And he gets to Jesus and he kneels. He says, son of David, have pity on me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> if I'm the blind man, I'm like, I can't see. <laughs> I want to see. He makes the blind man name what he desires. He makes him reveal what he wants healed. I had this corny little saying I made up one time. Jesus can't heal what you won't reveal. Not only in your prayer, but in the confessional. He wants to heal these things. And the sacrament is the beginning. But your daily prayer is where he takes hold of your heart and transforms it. He transforms it. And the more we begin to see, the more we begin to pray, the more we bring him into our lives, we will see that he is everywhere. The reason we can't hear him is because we're so dang distracted. Even in our vocal prayers, and I don't want to take anything away from vocal prayer, they're great, and our devotions are great, but do you know, do you know him? Or is it just lip service? Are we just saying things? Do we feel his embrace? Do we feel his love? Do we feel his compassion? Do we know him? Because 
This is what happened to St. Peter. This is why I read Peter in the beginning of this, this talk tonight. St. <clears throat> Peter was a man's man. I want to make that very clear. He's a blue-collar worker. He liked to get his hands dirty. When I think of St. Peter, I think of a hard-working man who drives a pickup truck, who rarely washes it, he drinks beer, he likes football, and he loves pizza. And wings. I don't know if they had wings back then. If they did, they sure didn't have barbecue sauce. He's a man's man. If he were alive in our day and age, him and his buddies would have watched the Super Bowl. In addition to knowing what he does for work, we know that he's a married man. One of Jesus' first miracles was to cure Peter's mother-in-law, which is perhaps why he denied him three times. Only a celibate man can say that. We don't know if he had any children. Scripture never mentions it. But we know that roughly 2,000 years ago, this man's man is standing on the shore by his boat, which is his business, which is his life. And he is frustrated. He has worked all night and he has caught nothing. And Peter was one of the best fishermen in Galilee. And it's a hard thing for a man to go home to his wife and say, I worked all day and I got nothing to show for it. And as he's standing there packing up everything, getting ready to go home, this strange man, he didn't go to Peter and say, hey Peter, can I use your boat to teach the crowds? It says Jesus got into his boat. <laughs> now I, I like to pray through these using my imagination. If I was packing up my boat, all of a sudden this guy gets in and says, hey, put your boat back out. I'd be like, get out of my boat, for, for starters. This is my boat, it's not yours, get out. But for some reason, Peter does it. And that might, might show like the character of who Peter was as a man. And so he puts his boat out. Remember, don't miss this. The evangelist is showing that Peter's boat is his life. Jesus gets into his life. Where? At the best time? At the happiest time? Or he's most joyful, most successful? No, at the worst. He steps right into his life. And then after he's done preaching, he turns over to, Jesus, or to Peter and he says, put out into the deep and throw out your nets for a catch. Now again, if I'm Peter, I'm like, listen, buddy, I didn't tell you how to preach. Don't tell me how to fish. You don't fish during the day because the fish can see the nets and you don't fish in the deep because there's no fish in the deep. I almost think that when Peter actually does it, he was almost doing it to humor Jesus. Like, okay, we'll throw him into the deep, Jesus. Here we go, you know? Like, this is the stupidest thing I've done all day. And as he's pulling him in, see, I told you, all of a sudden they start shaking. Like the whole boat turns sideways. And he realizes that there are fish beyond his wildest imagination. He turns, he screams, he says, get out here. This is the catch of a lifetime. And all of a sudden he stops. And he realizes that you just don't catch fish like this. And maybe he's in the presence of someone who is more than just a man. And I gotta think that Jesus was sitting at the front of the boat, smiling, <laughs> arms folded. And what does Peter do? Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, I'm not the guy you're looking for. His first reaction is fear. 
Jesus is calling him to be the prince of the apostles, the greatest man besides Jesus himself. And all Peter can do is think about weakness and be afraid of greatness. Jesus, no, not me. And seemingly, Jesus seems to just not pay attention to him. He simply says to him, he says, Peter, you will be with me, and I will be with you. And just as I multiplied those fish and made you a great fisherman, I will make you a great saint, and I will multiply my church through you. You just need to trust me. Be with me. Know me, Peter. And when they got to shore, they left everything. What does this have to do with us? The first thing I want you to think about is what kind of man Jesus was. We've got this messed up understanding of who Jesus is. We've domesticated him. We've tamed him. We've turned him into something that is less than a man. It's no wonder people don't want to get to know him. Sort of this happy Jesus. I'm okay, you're okay. It's not okay. <laughs> the world's not okay. What kind of man does it take to walk up to a truck-driving, beer-drinking, football-watching man and say to him, everything you're looking for in life is in me? And then to have that same man say, I think you're right. What kind of man does that? I mean, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they couldn't get enough of this guy. His miracles... The catches of fish, walking on water, blind people seeing, dead people rising from the dead, driving out demons. I gotta think that every night they sat around the fire, they must have looked at each other and been like, what in the heck is he gonna do tomorrow? He almost got us all killed today and seemingly didn't care about it. The guy was dead, right, Peter? Yeah, he was dead, John. I saw him. He was dead and he's alive now. What would that have been like? You gotta think. You gotta think that these guys were like, who is this? If there was ever a man on this earth that was not tame, that was not domesticated, that was wild and compassionate and crazy and unpredictable and exciting, it was Jesus Christ. He is the craziest thing to ever enter into this world and somehow we have made him boring. How's that possible? I think it's because we don't know him. Because when you come to know him, you will see that he is still wildly active. And if you don't experience him like that, it's because you don't know him. Peter came to see it, as did I, and so will you if you pray that half hour each day. If you spend time with him, you will see a man who is hard yet compassionate, strong but loving. He wouldn't let those who followed him be anything less than perfect. He would call out Pharisees for their hypocrisy and yet forgive the most wicked person if they truly desired forgiveness. He gave hope to those who had none, loved the unlovable. He never backed down from what he said, even when people thought he was crazy and tried to kill him. He protected women when others tried to hurt them. He calmed storms and healed those who were crippled. He fought the devil on his own terms, and he never backed down from a fight when it was for the truth. When they came looking for him in the garden, 200 armed men, 
He didn't hide in the dark. He came out and met them face to face. You trying to tell me that's a tame man? That's a boring man? And when he said to him, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. He said, I'm he. Take me, but leave them. That's a man. He looked a Roman governor in the face and told him he was powerless. He was beaten with whips, laced with glass and metal to the point of death, then crowned with thorns and pierced his skull. He was falsely accused, mocked, spit upon, beaten, and then hung naked on a cross. So disfigured that you could barely make out who the man was, all in front of his mother. And in that moment, he forgave those who killed him. He never thought about himself. He only thought about us. That's someone I can follow. That's someone I want to know. That's somebody I want to be like. That man. That God. And so I encourage you tonight, make a decision to know him every day for the rest of your life. Because nothing's more important than knowing the Son of God. Nothing's more important than relationship with God himself. Father Pedro Lupe once said, nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a final and absolute way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you will do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love. And it will decide everything. And so I challenge you. Make a change. If you do this, you will come to know him. And everything will have meaning in your life. From the worst thing to the greatest thing. Nothing is untouched by God himself. Mother Teresa was asked, how do you become a saint? She said, you spend time with him and you desire him with all your heart and he'll do the rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we have spent here tonight. We ask you in this next few moments in which we spend time with your only begotten Son and the Blessed Sacrament, that these, your faithful here, might make a choice to know you better, to seek you in the scriptures, to find you in the silence, and to let you be the answer to everything they hope for. We thank you for their willingness to be here. And may their willingness to know you increase every single day until they know you fully and totally in heaven. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.